How's it going, guys? We doing good? Dude, those puppets are something else, man. Those are some out of nightmares. That's awesome. But those singing abilities are uncanny. Also, give it up for your counselors and youth pastors getting up here and singing their absolute hearts out. That was awesome. I was deeply impressed. But man, I'm so excited to be back with you guys as we get to continue our journey with Daniel and begin to Look through the video we just watched and the historical retelling of the story of Daniel. If you remember, this morning, we left off having an honest and real conversation about sin and its effect on our life. That sin entered the world and now has affected you and me and is at the very fabric of who we are. That naturally and instinctively we think, do, and act and worship other things other than God. And the wages of that sin is what? Death. Eternal death. Eternal separation from God. And there's nothing you and there's nothing me that I can do about it. But we are in desperate need of a Savior. We're in desperate need to surrender our kingdom, our lives, and take up the life and the kingdom of another. And that is where we continue in our story. And tonight, we're going to give you an opportunity. An opportunity to let go of your kingdom and your sin and walk into a relationship with the living God because Jesus has paid it all for you. But before we get there, let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, you're good. God, I just pray, God, as this week has been marked on your calendar since the beginning of time, God, that we would be here in this place talking about you and your servant Daniel. God, each one here, you have here on purpose and for a purpose. God, I pray tonight Holy Spirit, would you just open our eyes, open our ears, but most importantly, open up our hearts. God, I pray as I teach your word, would I teach it in the honor and reverence that it so deserves. And all God's people said, amen. There it is. I was waiting for the clap. So uh, I've been married now for eight years, and it has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, my wife is my absolute best friend, but before we got married, I had to do something first. I had to actually ask her if she wanted to get married to me. That's a really good start, so tip for you if you ever get that far in your dating life. But I remember I go to the jeweler, and my wife has picked out like the ring of rings on Etsy, and I found the exact one she wanted in this jewelry case. And I go up to the, the jeweler, I was like, hey, can I see that ring in the jewelry case? And he goes, yeah, I got you. But it was interesting, before he pulls out the ring, he takes this really dark black felt blanket and he puts it over the counter. And I was like, that's weird. I wanted to see the ring, not a felt blanket. Cool story, you know, but come on. But then he takes out the ring and he puts it on the black blanket. And you know what happens? That ring pops off the blanket because of the black backdrop the shining of the diamonds and the and the rock just glittered in the light 
And, and friends, this morning, we, I kind of put down that black backdrop on the counter for us. That that is the result of our sin, this deep darkness that resides in you and in me, which beautifully sets the stage for the beautiful gift of Jesus that is then laid over the top and conquers it all. So how do we see this take place in the story of Daniel? Well, in Daniel chapter 4, we saw that Nebuchadnezzar was kind of warned of his own sin, right? It was like, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, if you don't turn from your sin, you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose your kingdom. You're going to lose your mind. You're going to lose everything, and you're basically going to be a walking dead man. And what happens? Again, he goes full werewolf. Like, hair, fur, everything, his nails get super long. Like, it's absolutely crazy. And for seven years, he lives like this. Until finally, in Daniel 4, he comes to his senses. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 through 37, it says this. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honor him who lives forevermore. And these are the words of Nebuchadnezzar. He says, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And none can say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar, in this moment, finally just like the hand in the monkey trap we talked about this morning, he finally lets go. If you remember, he got into the situation because he proclaimed his dominion overall. But in this prayer, who does he proclaim has dominion? Who? God. He finally surrenders. And he looks up to the Most High and he says, it's not about me anymore. I don't want my kingdom anymore. I don't want my sin anymore. I want your dominion over my life. And look what happens in verse 36. At the same time, so the moment he utters these words, the moment he embraces who God is, look what happens. For the glory of my kingdom and my majesty and my splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he will humble. As soon as Nebuchadnezzar releases his life and gives it to God, immediately in that moment, he is restored tenfold. And he is walking in relationship with the living, breathing God of the universe, and his life is never the same. Friends, Nebuchadnezzar right now is in heaven praising and worshiping the God of the universe living in ultimate paradise. This is the same guy who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. This is the same guy who built an idol of himself. But when it came to grace, pouring over that, none of that mattered anymore because he gave his life to the Lord. 
And in that moment, changed. And then we watch Nebuchadnezzar would then rule Babylon for about 40 plus years until he would pass away. But again, his life was not over. As a matter of fact, the moment he passed away, his real life had just begun in the arms of his father. And then, as we saw in the video, Nebuchadnezzar goes away, but then all of a sudden we got this one-eyed patch guy with a French accent. Who the heck is that? Well, let me tell you. In chapter 5 in the book of Daniel, we have some ancestors who come and take the scene, and one of the ancestors who come and take the throne of Babylon is a guy named Belshazzar. And Belshazzar was like, Nebuchadnezzar was like his grandfather. And Belshazzar now becomes king of Babylon, and Belshazzar, similar to his grandfather, has a real big issue with pride. Belshazzar, again, just like Nebuchadnezzar was, he was all about himself, all about his own kingdom, all about him having control over his own life, leading in pride and arrogance rooted in his own sin. And so Belshazzar, what ends up happening is Belshazzar throws this huge, grandiose party, like the party of parties. As a matter of fact, he invites everyone who's guarding the city, his whole army, everyone to take part in this party. It is a situation. Like, it is off the chain. And so what ends up happening is not only that, Belshazzar asked that all the gold and all the treasures that were taken from the temple in Jerusalem be used at this party to mock God and say, I am God and you are not. Nana, 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 I'm going to drink from your cups too. This ultimate form of pride. And they're having a good time. Picture it. They're partying. It's awesome. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, appears a hand with no arm, just a single hand. And this hand, a hand of God from heaven, writes on the wall of the party. And it's a language that no one can understand. And Belshazzar and everyone at the party are shaking in their boots. What is going on? What is going on? What does this message say? What did God just write? And then Belshazzar has someone come up to him and goes, Hey, I know a guy. His name's Daniel. You should bring him and I bet he could read it. So Daniel again enters into this party. Sees everyone there. Belshazzar runs up to him, grabs him. Daniel, Daniel, what, what does this say? What does this say? I need to know. Daniel looks at it. And again, what's once a curious look, you again see Daniel begin to get a little downcast. And he looks at Belshazzar and he says, Sire, it says, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson, which is a language they didn't understand, but Daniel did. And what this hand of God wrote, a message to Belshazzar saying, you have been weighed, you have been measured, and you've been found wanting. What does that mean? It means Belshazzar, just like we talked about this morning, has been put up against the holiness of God and see how he stacks up. Belshazzar, in his sin and in his pride, was put up against the holiness of God and was seen, could he match up to the holiness of God and have life and life abundant? But what does God say? You've been found wanting. In other words, it doesn't match up. And because of your sin and because of your pride, 
you're going to die and you're going to lose everything. And so that's exactly what Daniel tells him. Again, Daniel to the king of one of the most powerful nations on earth looks at Belshazzar and goes, you're going to die because of your sin. And Belshazzar in this moment actually promotes Daniel to the second in command of his entire country. Like that's crazy. Imagine like you're going to die, awesome promotion, like crazy. But that's what happens. And then again, God is a man of his word. They go to bed, and because everyone has been partying and there's no one left on the walls of the city, a rival country of the Medes come, and they take over Babylon, and they kill Belshazzar. And a man named Darius becomes king. Friends, here's what we need to know two things we need to take away from this. One, Belshazzar's sin of pride and arrogance, it seems like it's great and it feels good, but we need to understand something about sin. It always over-promises and under-delivers. Sin always over-promises and under-delivers. The sin of Belshazzar said you can be king of your own life and you can do whatever you want. And you can make your own decisions. And what's the result of that? Death. Sin always overpromises and under delivers. And also that God means what he says. When he says for the wages of sin is death, he means it eternally. And then that leads us to chapter 6, where we also discover something about God. That he means what he says when he says, when you lay down your life and you pick up mine, you are forgiven and forgiven in full. Look at Daniel chapter 6, verse 1 through 3. It says this, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, a satrap is like a mayor or someone who's over a small town to be throughout the kingdom. And over these three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give an account. So picture the kingdom of Babylon is huge. And so Darius assigns a bunch of mayors over all these small towns. And then he assigns some governors over larger areas who would report to Daniel. Verse three, then Daniel became this distinguished above all the other high officials because of an excellent spirit within him. And the king set him over the whole land. So basically, in this moment, Daniel becomes vice president of Babylon because Darius looks at him and says, you are an excellent spirit, I can trust you, there's something different about you, and he's given full authority as if he was the king himself because Daniel was faithful in character and faithful in how he lived. Unfortunately, though, that didn't go so well with everyone else. Little jealousy begins to arise. It says this in verse 4 of chapter 6. Then the high officials and satraps sought out to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. Now look at this. But they could not find ground for complaint or any fault 
because he was faithful and no error was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground of complaint against Daniel unless it's in a connection with the law of his God. So these people, these other leaders, begin to be jealous of Daniel's authority, Daniel's job. And so they're like, okay, we got to find a complaint against him. The only problem is Daniel's kind of awesome. And they can't find any reason to complain against him, not even one. And so they devise this plan. They go, what if? We know Daniel prays to God every single day. What if we kind of whispered in King Darius's ear and said, hey, king, I think people should pray to only you. Because you're king, you have ultimate authority. You don't want to be in competition with another king. We should only have our people pray to you for 30 days. And King Darius, much like his own predecessors, gives in to sin and pride rooted in his life. And he says, okay, I like the sound of that. I want to be on a pedestal and the ruler of my kingdom. And so he writes this law into effect. And what is Daniel's response? Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees just like he had three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Friends, his life is on the line. His life is on the line. He knows if I get caught in this, it is an edict of King Darius that I get thrown into the lion's den. And what does Daniel do? He goes to his room, he opens the windows, he gets down on his knees, and he prays to God. And he says, God, you are king, Darius is not. Lord, you have my life in your hands. Darius does not. Thank you. And he prays, and he doesn't pray in fear. He actually opens up his windows. Bold move. But sure enough, they find him, and they arrest him, and they take him before King Darius. And Darius, as they see Daniel arrested and brought before him, Darius is deeply troubled. Darius loved Daniel. Darius put Daniel in charge as second in command. And in this moment, the weight of Darius' sin hits him. He realizes my sin is going to cost death. And for a whole day, for a whole day, Darius is pacing back and forth, trying to figure out a way to save Daniel from going into the lion's den. But you see, it's a law. There's nothing he can do. And so he gives the edict and the order to send Daniel to the lion's den. And they walk Daniel to the pit, throw him in, and roll a large stone over the lion's den. And Darius can hardly sleep that night. He's rolling back and forth, just picturing in his head what could possibly be happening to Daniel. And then he wakes up, he was probably more awake the entire night, and he sprints, sprints to the lion's den. Can you picture it? Him running in the thing, he's running with a cane, like sprinting. 
And all of a sudden he goes, Daniel, yelling. And he hears Daniel's voice, here I am. And he is absolutely amazed. Daniel has spent a night in a tomb with lions. There's no reason he should be alive. And Daniel comes out unharmed and unscathed by the lions. And what is Darius's response to what he has just seen? Look at chapter 6, verse 26 through 27. Darius praises God. He says this, For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion there shall be no end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of of the lions. Darius, just like Nebuchadnezzar, lets go of his own life, lets go of his sin, lets go of his pride, and clings to who God is, and is radically changed for eternity. Once someone who wrath was due to, and now he gets to experience the glory of God. Darius, look at me. Darius is saved from the weight of his sin because of someone who is faithful to the Lord. Daniel, the sin that Darius committed, Daniel paid for. Daniel went to the lion's den when Darius should have been there himself because of his sin. And he took on impending death, but what happens? The stone is rolled back and Daniel comes out fully alive. And in that moment, Darius realizes that there is a God on the throne of heaven of whom grace and forgiveness is possible. Does this sound familiar to you? Who does this sound like to you? Jesus. The story of Daniel is a mirror picture image of what Jesus chose to do for you and to do for me. In our sin, in our state, what we talked about this morning, when we had no hope, when we were dead in our sin, die, die, separated from God, Jesus looked at you and he looked at me. The God of heaven looked at you and looked at me and said, I love them too much to watch them be eternally separated from me. And Philippians says that he humbled himself. God humbled himself, taking the appearance of a man in Jesus Christ. And being made in human likeness, he walked this earth, living the life you should have, a perfect life. Dying the death you should have because the wages of your sin is death. Jesus, knowing that full well, takes on your death and my death and nails it to the cross. And in the shedding of his blood is offered the forgiveness of sin. You see, friends, when we see Jesus on the cross, we need to realize that should have been you, that should have been me. But Jesus pays it all. Now, was Jesus owed death? No. He was perfect. In him there was no blemish. We talked this morning that I could not clean myself off, that Darius could not save himself, that I cannot save myself, that you cannot save yourself. God, knowing that full well, comes down, takes your sin. Scripture says he became sin who knew no sin and paid for it on our behalf. 
Romans 5, 8 through 10 puts it this way. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. But God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore now we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Listen to verse 10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now we are reconciled and shall be saved. Justified. What does that mean? That you are justified. It means that the fullness of God's wrath has not been executed on you, but on his son. That justice has been paid. And because of this, in other words, you've been reconciled. Before you were separated, reconciliation means the separation is gone. That in Christ you have a bridge from death into eternal life and can again have eternal relationship and fellowship with the living God. And Jesus pays for the weight of sin on the cross, but then he raises again on the third day. And that is so vital because that means that the payment was made in full and it has satisfied our cost as sinners. What Jesus does is imagine this. You have a debt in your bank account that you could not pay and Jesus has eternity in his and he comes to yours and he deposits his eternity into your debt and looks at you and says, it's been paid in full he gives you a gift of grace meaning he gives you forgiveness you did not deserve and he offers you love we deserve death but he offers us life and friends what do we do to have to attain this life what do we have to do we just have to receive it it is a gift It is a gift of grace, one we didn't deserve, but he offers it to you and to me. He offers in this moment, right now, in this chapel, for you to walk from death into life, to walk from being identified by your sin to being identified by his perfect and complete sacrifice on the cross, that your sin no longer gets to separate you from the living God, but by letting go of your life and your kingship, you can walk into abundance and life and forgiveness through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Guys, in Jesus... You are fully known. What does that mean? It means that he knows every sin you've ever committed are going to commit in the future. He knows every part of your heart. Nothing is hidden from him. And yet even though you're fully known, look at me, you're fully loved. He saw every blemish, every sin, every piece of brokenness. And in that he got off the throne of heaven and he paid for it. Look at me, because he loves you. And he sees you, and he doesn't want to be separated from you. And in that paying for it, it means you're fully forgiven. That your sin no longer has to define you. That your sin no longer has to separate you. That when we walk into the loving arms of Jesus, and we let go of our kingdom, and we embrace his, that we are forgiven, that he no longer holds our sin, your sin, against us. But he looks at us as his sons and daughters, and because of that, we can be fully accepted into the loving arms of a living God. And just like Nebuchadnezzar, and just like Darius, laid down their lives and picked up the life of the one who had forgiven them, they now get to walk in abundance. Guys, this is good news. 
This is the best news that's ever been talked about, penned, or recited, that you and me can walk from death and into life and life abundant, and all we have to do is embrace it. Like the monkey trap to let go of our sin, to let go of our pride, to let go of our kingdom, to let go of our life, and receive a gift of grace in Jesus. It says if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. By what Jesus did on the cross that you can walk from death and into life. Friends, our entire week hinges on this. You cannot be resilient and in resolve for the kingdom of God if you first haven't laid down your own kingdom first. You cannot stand for Jesus if you're not found fully forgiven in him. This is the most important decision you will ever make in your entire life. But look at me, in Jesus, you are fully known, fully loved, fully forgiven, and fully accepted. And you can be adopted as a son and daughter of the living God. Not seen as a substance of your sin, but seen as a complete, paid in full son and daughter of the living God. So here's what we're going to do. We've talked about resilience. We've talked about resolve. So I'm going to ask you to do something that is marked by resilience and resolve. For those of you, you came to camp and you've been holding on to your own sin. You've been holding on to your own pride. You've been holding on to your own kingdom. And the wages of that is death. And Jesus says, I'm going to take that. And all you need to do is lay down your life, lay down your kingdom, let go and receive my grace, receive my forgiveness. And you can be welcomed as an adopted son and daughter of God and all you need to do is embrace it. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna count to three. And if you've never, if you've never embraced the gospel, if you've never cried out and you've never given your life to God, if you've never done what Nebuchadnezzar and Darius have done, laying down their sin, laying down their pride, accepting the free gift of grace and being adopted into the family of God, no longer identified by your sin, but justified and seen as a son and daughter of God, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to make that decision. And when I count to three, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to stand. Why do I ask you to stand? Because in this world that is so radically against the gospel of Jesus, we are choosing to stand and say, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So with resolve and resilience, we stand. And what's going to happen is we're going to sing a song of worship on the back end as we all sing together. And at the end, we're going to give you an opportunity to receive this gift of grace with your counselors. But friends, look at me. This is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. As we embrace the gospel at this point in time, this good news that Jesus saw you and saw me unable to pay for the weight of our sin unable to get past the separation between him and us, that he loved you and loved me so much that he took my wages of sin, he took my payment of death, and he paid it in full on the cross. 
and then he rose again on the third day proclaiming that it's been paid in full and all you need to do is let go of your kingdom and embrace him as the Lord of your life and then you are adopted into the heavenly family of God and you get to walk fully forgiven, fully loved, fully known and fully accepted by the God of the universe. So I'm just gonna take a moment and I want you guys to close your eyes and bow your heads. Who is the king of your life? If you've never, if you've never received the grace of Jesus, you've never given your life to the Lord, if you've never made that decision to follow him and you want to in this moment, let go of your sin, let go of your pride that separates and embrace the gospel and receive forgiveness and receive love and receive grace and walk as an adopted son and daughter of God. If that is you, and you want to walk from death and into life. I'm going to ask you to stand. In one, two, three. Come on. Stay standing. Stay standing. Stay standing. By you standing, look at me. It's not your friend's decision. This is your decision. That you are walking from death and into life. That you're no longer marked by sin. That you are marked by the love and the precious blood of Jesus. Look at me. You get to be adopted into the family of God. You are forever seen. You are forever forgiven. That sin no longer has the final say in your life. And what we're going to do now is we're going to take a moment, just like Nebuchadnezzar, just like Darius, and we're going to praise Jesus at the top of our lungs. And we're singing a song called All Hail King Jesus, because Jesus is now king of your life. Now, if you're sitting here and you have given your life to the Lord, but this week has just brought up some stuff that you realize I've been more serving culture than I've been serving my king I would ask you as we sing this song, may it be a proclamation that you're walking back into the arms of a loving God. So as we sing this song, friends, if you are standing, look at me. You're walking from death to life. So let's hail a king who is worthy to be praised for only in him is that possible. Heavenly Father, God, may this song be a cry from the depths of our soul, God, that you are king and we are not, and because of that, we get to live in abundance of freedom and grace and goodness with you. Father, that in you, Jesus, we are fully known, fully loved, fully forgiven, and fully accepted. God, for my friends who stood up, Father, I pray, may this be a marked moment, the moment they embrace the gospel. What we're witnessing in this chapel is a miracle. Father, as we sing, may this not be simply words 
read off a screen. God, may it be a cry from the depths of our heart. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.